is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 513, recorded Tuesday, February the 9th, 2021. Hello, Jason. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay, Christopher. How are you? Good to good to hear. I'm doing all right. I, I may be running this week with a mild concussion. As uh, we were talking about earlier, I fell <laughs> down earlier tonight and bonked the back of my head on some ice. You'll be fine. I hope so. That's my, that's my professional... Um, podcaster opinion? <laughs> I mean, that's why you're here, to uh, make sure you can reassure me when I hurt myself or or have a bad day or, or just do something I'm not happy with. So uh, good job. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm, and I'm sure you're fine. I hope so. I, I feel okay. It was just a, un, I don't know, a, a scary fall that I didn't enjoy participating in. Well, any fall at our age is scary. It really it just is. It gets scarier from this point forward. <laughs> I to the point where you don't go skating anymore, Chris. But I have to. That's what I do. That's what I do in the winter. I just took a took a little bit of a tumble this time. So I've got to be more careful in the future. Hopefully I'll uh, make it through the evening. Do I uh, use a chair. Like grab a, grab a chair out of the kitchen and skate oh, yeah. around with that. That way you have a little bit of uh, support. Good. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> it's how you learn how to skate, right? Uh, it's, it's true. Yeah. If I went back in time 40 years, I might do that when I was learning to skate. Well, I mean, our lives are bookended by the same conditions, right? Can't walk, need a chair to skate, incontinence, oh, all kinds of stuff. Great. That's that's something to look forward to. <laughs> Anyways, looking forward to this podcast here. Uh, we're really just going to cover the next two episodes of The Stand, pretty much. Uh, not a lot of news or feedback or anything this week to go over, although I did want to mention that The Walking Dead Season 11 has 100% officially started filming. Uh, so a- AMC's been throwing out a couple of pictures here and there on their Twitter feed and Instagram and stuff like that. It's mostly um, like film slates with sort of vague set locations in the background. I, there's one of Kaylee Fleming doing some stuff. I think uh, JDM posted a picture. So we have some official photos, you know, official-ish. But the real news is that season 11 is underway from a filming perspective. Here it comes. So that's exciting. We still, of course, have the rest of 10 to get through, and 11 won't be until towards the end of the year, most likely. But there they go. They're going. They're filming. It's exciting. It's the final season. I don't think I'm doing anything for the end of the year. Like, I'm not planning anything that will come to fruition at the end of the year. I mean, uh, I guess you probably should. Maybe I should start buying for Christmas? Is it? Is it time to start planning presents? I guess it's never too late or never too early. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, maybe you should try to figure out what the next GameStop is going to be and start buying that for the end of the year. Well, that, that's the, the thing about GameStop is I can help make whatever that is come true. <laughs> right? It's up to the community to fuck with that shit rather than uh, just trying to predict. Predicting is the, uh, the, the idiot's guide to uh, uh, trying to make money in the stock market. Apparently. Yeah. Apparently you get enough people on Reddit together and they can make anything happen. So that was quite the story. Um, anyways, uh, that's it. Season 11 has begun. So we look forward to seeing that probably later in the fall. 
Now, I do have an email here from listener Paul in England, and this is actually about the stand. So let's let's move right on into our coverage of the stand. We were speculating, or at least mostly I was speculating last week, um, not really speculating. I was wondering why the general reaction to the stand has been, seems like kind of poor, whereas I'm really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And Paul wrote in and he said, I listen to a podcast based around the works of Stephen King and the hosts of that do not like this adaptation at all. So I thought I would try and shed some light on why it might be getting such poor ratings. One of the main complaints seems to be how little screen time many of the characters are getting and the lack of cohesion in the episodes that feature multiple character flashbacks. Also, I would argue that the way the writers have chosen to structure the story, setting the present day as life in Boulder, has robbed it of much of the tension in the source material. A good chunk of the book is spent on following the main characters as they make perilous journeys across America to reach Boulder, but we know they all survive by virtue of the fact we're watching flashbacks. The choice to show that part of the story this way is perhaps the most puzzling and disappointing decision the show has made for me. Despite that, I can honestly say I have not once felt felt bored watching the show, and even though I felt like I'm filling in a lot of the blanks myself with knowledge of the story, the show is not giving the viewer, I'm very glad to hear that somebody who is not familiar with the source material can enjoy it and follow along just as well. Hmm. So those are interesting points made by Paul, and I think it actually kind of supports my theory that me going in blind to it, like I said, I have not read the original novel and I didn't see the, the earlier uh, miniseries. So I had very little knowledge going in. I think that's helped me because I'm just taking this for what it is, accepting the way they're telling the story, accepting the information they're giving me and I'm not bringing anything else to it. So I think, I think sort of Paul's points reinforce that that might be what's going on for me. Right. And I can see that as a, an artistic choice, right? Because the, that novel, the stand, the novel is, a big goddamn book. Like it's pretty friggin' thick and dense and there's a lot of material there. Far too much material to put into uh, a mini series of any form. Sure. Whether it's uh you know 10 episodes or 50 episodes. There's a lot of material there. So they had you have to make choices, right? And one of the choices they made is uh all of the like we needed to have some background on how this this shit started. Uh, but we wanted to tell the story of, uh, you know, the, you know, Boulder, Colorado and Vegas. We wanted to tell the story of those two towns. So you have to cut things and they made a choice. We're just going to get everybody there and we're going to get going on that story rather than telling the story of how everybody got there, which is also valid. A valid point would be to have that be the story, but telling both of those stories might be challenging in the time frame that, or the time that we have uh, the screen time we have. So, you know, I can understand that from an artistic point of view. You have to cut things. Uh, of course. To, uh, yeah, when of adapting course. anything, you have to, you, things have to cut, be cut and things have to change. So I can accept that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that just makes sense. It's a different medium. You can't tell the story, the same story in the same way. So, um, but what about the idea that like, it sounds like the original novel was not told in flashbacks. That's from what I'm understanding of what uh, Paul is saying. So, I, I mean, that seems like a pretty significant change. But again, works for me because, uh, you know, I wasn't aware of the fact that there was long, 
perilous journeys across America on their way to, to Boulder. Um, and so it, for me, I think it works really well where you see little bits of their journey, which informs the characters a little bit, informs what they're doing in Boulder and who they are and why they're doing some of the things they're doing. So again, I think it really, really works well. And you're right. I mean, I think there is room in this world for like a 30 episode run of this show that has, is super detailed and we see the journeys and we see everything. I just don't think that'll ever be made because 30 no. episodes, they don't do that anymore. You know, when all else fails, the book still exists, right? You can go and read the book and it's, uh, and I recommend that either read it or listen to it on audible, just go experience the book. Yeah. Uh, cause regardless of whether you like this adaptation or the previous adaptation or any adaptation of Stephen King, uh, you know, read the book because they're, they're a lot of, not all of them, but a lot of his books are, uh, are good reads. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And there was a point where, uh, Stephen King was selling the rights to any of his novels for a dollar. Oh That's God. why you see a lot of properties, uh, based on Stephen King, because he would, he liked the idea of giving any filmmaker whether you be fresh out of school or high school kids or anything, anybody, uh, the ability to tell a story. So that's why you saw, see a lot of Stephen King adaptations is that, uh, he practically gives away the rights. Interesting. It, it was it really that noble that he just wanted to empower other people to, to make things or, or do you think he, a little part of him was like, you know, the more stuff of mine that gets made into film or TV, the more exposure I get, the more money I make. I'm not sure that was really a problem with him. I think the, uh, another, he wrote under, uh, that pseudonym, what was it? Bachman? Yeah, that's uh, right. Richard Bachman. Uh, he wrote under that pseudonym in order to protect his brand, right? If he, if the public at large knew about how prolific of a writer he was, he thought that people would just be like, oh my God, another Stephen King book. Oh my God, another Stephen King book. So he started writing under a pseudonym to kind of go, okay, those aren't Stephen King. Those are Richard Bachman books. Uh, but then people got wise and said, aren't you Richard Bachman? He's like, ah, fuck yeah, I'm Richard <laughs> Bachman. So he wrote The Running Man under that name. Right. And that's one of my favorite novels. It's not very long and the movie sucks ass. Uh, well, it's its own thing. Let's just say. I like the novel a lot more. Do the Richard Bachman books kind of exist in the same universe as the Stephen King books, or are they completely different? Like, did he separate them out that much? Uh, I don't have enough knowledge to know that. Yeah. I, I do know that uh, The Running Man does not fit into his universe. It's more of a futuristic dystopian kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, Stephen King, much man, you're right. He He pumps them out. That's for sure. He just, he can't stop. He can't stop. He's, he's, he's got to write and the, the, he just pumps out the books. There's always a new novel. Always. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, if that's, he's chosen the, the right career for himself, obviously. So good. But there's also, um, uh, what was his name? The guy who wrote Rainbow Six. Clancy. Clancy. Tom, Tom Clancy. Yeah. Tom Clancy. He's also was, he's passed away. Unfortunately, he was also a prolific writer, uh, you know, pumping out books left, right and center. Uh, but I think he kind of, uh, for him, for me, my opinion of him is that Jesus, he's writing all these novels. Uh, they must all be garbage, even though I know they're not. Rainbow Six is one of my favorite novels of his. And I've also read all of the, uh, uh Jack Ryan series. That's uh, not the he, same thing. Rainbow Six and Jack Ryan. Like Jack Ryan's uh, not the character, is it? Uh, 
that might be in the same universe. Okay. You're right. I'm not sure. I haven't read any of them, so I don't know. Well, I'm, and I'm kind of mad at them too, because I started the, I was actually going to run a, uh, a Shadowrun campaign. You remember Shadowrun, a role-playing game from the nineties? I mean, I, I remember you talking about it. Yes. Yeah. I was going to run a Shadowrun campaign and I started writing out, it's like, okay, I love this this idea, I've going to, I wrote it down. You're going to be, uh, you know, a group of these, a group of, uh, elite soldiers. There's going to be this bad guy. He's going to do this bad thing. He's going to do it this way. And then all of a sudden I read rainbow six and I'm like, son of a bitch, you stole my idea. Like he, that's, <laughs> he wrote a novel that was my goddamn idea. I'm sure it was, you know, he had the idea first, but I didn't read the book before I had my idea. So they were parallel. So I threw the whole campaign out the window. I'm like, I can't do that now. That's a fucking Tom Clancy novel. Well, you got to act, man. When you get an idea, you got to act on it. It was a good idea too. I don't want to ruin it for anybody. Go read the book. All right. Anyway, what are we talking about? Stephen King, The Stand, right? Let's bring it back. Stephen King, The Stand, it's a, it's a huge book. You have to adapt it when you make it into a TV show. I, I mean, the book is so big. If you had enough of them, I think you could build a house out of them, but, uh. Probably. Let's it's get. Pretty thick. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, so The Stand, episode five is called Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. And episode six is called The Vigil. Um. Now, I fear my notes are a little all over the place on these two episodes. I, I don't know why, um, but... Did you write them down after you fell down? No, 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 no. I did all my oh, note making. Uh, no, I did, I did most of my note making before I fell down. And then okay. I, I rewatched a little bit of episode five and made a couple extra notes after the fall. All right. Well, it's important because if they're all over the place and you can't read your writing... Uh, you know, the head injury might be more significant than we originally thought, but since, are your notes coherent? Well, even though they're sporadic? We're about to find out. I don't know. <laughs> All Let's, right. Let me start by saying that, you know, as I've repeated a few times, I'm really enjoying the stand. Um, episode five, I think is probably the weakest one for me so far, but episode six, we're back in business. I really enjoyed that one. So, you know, I liked episode five fine enough, but all the sort of new Vegas sexy time stuff wasn't. Well, that's I'm surprised a little bit because this episode five had the most nudity. It did have the most nudity, I, but, but I don't know. That just didn't connect with me. It's, it, I don't know. I was also kind of bummed out that Greg Kinnear wasn't in this one. As you know, I really love him and I love him in this show. Yeah. Um, and I, I, in a way I felt like episode five just wasn't as gripping. It didn't feel like as much happened for me in this episode. And I think maybe it's because I've really kind of glommed on to all the characters in Boulder and I didn't feel like I got enough of them in this episode. And this was the first one that I sat there and was like, is this uh, longer than the others? Cause it's feeling really long. I think maybe this speaks to, uh, you know, you're more of a mother Abigail kind of person. I liked this episode uh, nudity and all. Uh, so maybe, uh, I'm a more of a Randall flag person. Maybe you, know, you are. Maybe I would, maybe I would end up in new Vegas and become a citizen because, uh, you know, it, it was an important distinction when, uh, what's his name showed up there. M O O N, uh, said anybody who shows up here voluntarily, voluntarily becomes a citizen. Right. Right. Where you can't become a slave because he showed up here by himself. You capture people and bring them. They're, they're slaves. Right. But that was, uh, I thought that was an important uh, distinction and it seemed a little too lawful evil rather than chaotic evil. And Randall Flagg seems like a chaotic evil kind of guy. And this seemed a little lawful evil. So I, I didn't quite know what to make of it. You know, you would think 
you're right. He, you would think he would be a chaotic, evil guy, but I think there's more... I mean, at the very least, neutral evil or maybe some lawful evil, because in at the end of this episode, one of the scenes I really did like is when uh, Dana goes up to the penthouse to meet with him and talk with him. Right. And we all yep. know what happens. But I thought that whole scene was was fantastic. It revealed a bunch about Flag in that he doesn't he can't see everything. He doesn't know who the third spy is. Right. He knows the two of them, but not the third one. And, you know, she says to him, what are you going to do? You're just going to kill me now? And he says. No, I'm going to let you go home. And, you know, I don't know what would have actually happened had she not stabbed herself in the neck with a broken beer bottle, but it felt like he was saying to her, I'm going to try to get the information from you. And I guess maybe if you don't give it to me, I'll kill you. But if you do, you can go home. And that's (laughs) very reasonable of, of him, I would think, considering what we know about him. Well, yes and no. Uh, what he actually said was, she said, or what are you going to do, kill me? And he said, no, I'm going to send you back. She, he didn't say, I'm going to let you go. Mm. He's going to send you back. That could be in pieces. That could be in a box. It could be, you know, using the world's largest trebuchet and throwing her all the way back to Boulder. <laughs> now that uh, I would pay to see. <laughs> but I think there was a very, dis- very uh, clear distinction between I'm going to let you go and I'm going to kill you. It was kind of a, uh, and I think maybe she recognized that. Mm. And that's why she decided to, A, protect the other guy. I forget his name. I'm trying Tom. to look it up. Tom. Tom, thank you. Uh, she's trying to protect Tom as well as get out of the uh, obvious torture that uh, he's going to inflict on her. And uh, I, I think that she felt that she could do that because he can't see everything. She she now knows he can't see everything, so I can do something to surprise him. Which is what why can, she stabbed him in the neck with the, the scissors and then killed herself, ultimately. Well, she stabbed him in the neck with the scissors. Was that after she found out that uh, he didn't know who Tom was or before? I believe it was after because okay. I think she realized that he wouldn't see it coming. and. I guess she thought she could kill him. Uh, and it was, as soon as she stabbed him and he started going like this, like, Oh my God, he's going to have so much fun with this. Right. And he did. And I was going to say that resulted in one of the funniest scenes where he falls down on the ground, looks like he's dead. And then he gets up and does this bit. Like, was I convincing? Like, did you believe me? Sort of, you know, (laughs) with blood spurting out of his neck. Was I convincing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, you were convincing. But then what's her, I know her mission there as a spy is to, sort of just gather information on the place for them, right? They told Tom, like, how many people, how many guns, and then come back and tell us. Maybe she was gathering more information, but, like, what was her goal there going up to see him in person? Because she had to know what she was getting into by by communicating that desire to meet him in person to um, Lloyd and, what's her face? The the blonde who um, who they met who uh, Nick and Tom met earlier. Like if, if it were me, you'd think you'd want to keep as low profile as you could just get the info and then somehow get out of there safely. Because I don't think she knew that flag had made her right. So was her goal to like, did she think she could go and meet him and escape somehow? It, It feels like a suicide mission. It does feel like a suicide mission. And I'm not sure if it's me knowing who, you know, more about Randall Flagg than the characters in the show. But the whole thought of 
let's go to New Vegas and spy on spy on him. It's like you realize he knows everybody yeah. and knows what their motivations are. Same with Mother Abigail. How can you have spies in the other person's camp with these two uh you know, these two characters? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's kind of foolish to think they could even send spies, but but I think Boulder I think the, well, Mother Abigail, I think, realizes that, right? She knows that because the committee sent these spies without consulting with her after she had told Nick to, you know, be my voice, make sure I know everything and you communicate all my feelings to them. And she chewed him out for agreeing to this spy plan. He he knows, he knows your mind. Like (laughs) you can't sneak up on him. It's like trying to sneak up on a dragon. A dragon in D&D has something called true sight. Right. Which means within a, a certain sphere of him or her, nothing can be hidden. You cannot be invisible. You cannot sneak. It's true sight. The dragon sees everything, knows everything. This guy has, well, I guess it's not truly draconic true sight because he doesn't know who the uh, uh, Tom is. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe... Obviously, they're trying to say that, you know, Tom is so simple-minded that he can't be read, right? Like, he's the, uh, he's the, he's the fox in the hen house that's dressed up like a chicken. Yeah, I think- can't see it. I think, well, the idea is Tom doesn't know he's a spy. Like, he doesn't consider himself a spy. Therefore, he doesn't give off spy vibes that Flag can pick up on. But you're, it's, it's right. the same thing. You're, same thing you're saying. He's, he's yes. too simple-minded that Flag can't detect him yeah yeah well i mean it's i thought the whole thing was interesting though to learn that flag couldn't quite see everything uh i guess it makes him in a way he'd be just way too powerful if he could but do you think that mother a knows that you know flag has people like nadine in their camp well i don't know uh because it depends on who exactly, there's, there's a concept of God and the devil in this, right? Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Good and evil, we have the God and the devil. Uh, one of the things about, one of the, the, the trope type storytelling devices for the God and the, God and the devil is that the God, uh, the God, God is absent. He's like, he's a, an absent um, deity, mm-hmm. right? He, you can, he can speak to certain people, but it's always from afar and the devil is down in the details. The devil's in the goddamn streets talking to people, having a good time. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's just, uh, he's, you know, living life to the fullest. He's being, um, what's the term I'm looking for? It's uh, uh, not materialistic. It's just hedonistic kind of thing. He just, he wants to get down and dirty. He wants to talk to people. He wants to, you know, have sex all night kind of thing. He wants to party, he wants to drink. He's down with the def- down with the people, uh, having a good time, whereas God is kind of absent. So in this case, uh, we have Mother Abigail and we have um, uh, Randall Flagg. Randall Flagg is more, he, he's not the devil. And Mother, just as much as Mother A is not the, is not God, right? She speaks to God. He is Legion. I think he's the, he's the beast, maybe 666. I think maybe that was the reference. Uh, is the number of the beast kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows a lot of information, but he's not, uh, you know, omnipotent. He doesn't know everything, but he finds out by mingling with the people. Like, I, I think it was in the next episode that, uh, he finds out who, uh, Tom is, 
Um, but he f- only finds that out because he's down mingling with, the uh, with the people. Right. Well, he has the information about moon, right? Cause that's the only word that Tom can spell, even though he can't read it. And, and flag says, I, I, I try to find him, but all I can think of is the moon. Right. So that's what he's getting from Tom, right? That completely makes sense. And then, and then right at the end, yeah, you're right. Uh, the, the, the concept of the moon comes up or the idea of that Tom is obsessed with the moon comes up and flag puts two and two together and, and realizes who it is. Yeah. And it, sorry, just to reiterate a little bit more is, uh, uh, Randall flag finds out information by reading people, mm-hmm. right? Whereas mother a finds out information by talking to God. Yeah. Right? So it, it's an external source. Whereas, uh, you know, and those are the two distinctions between God and the devil is, you know, he finds that information by either reading their minds or finding out actual information from what they're saying. Whereas mother A finds out all the information from a single external source. Right. So I, I'm hundred percent on board with you that, that mother A speaks to God. She, she talks about it like that too, right? She says yeah. things like commands from on high and stuff like that. She's, she's a mouthpiece for God on earth. But, but you don't think Randall Flagg actually is the devil. I think he is the devil and he lives amongst the people and, and gathers his information that way. He's not a, he's not a, a proxy for. He didn't, he actually said, I'm not the devil. Didn't he? He said, and then he had the voice and he said, I am Legion. Okay. You might be right. I am, I, he did go into a crazy, dark, scary voice there for a second, right? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think he's the devil though. Okay. Maybe not, but I, I think I, he's, uh, you know, he might be the beast or he might be some kind of, uh, uh, manifestation of evil. Stephen King kind of likes that kind of idea. Oh yeah. Whereas he, uh, you know, the collective evil of a society manifests into a single, uh, being or an avatar of evil that the people collectively generate, but you know. <laughs> Whatever. An avatar of evil. I like yeah, it. I don't think he's, I don't think he's the, uh, he's the devil himself. Okay. Well, if not, he's, he's pretty close. <laughs> he's definitely acting on his behalf. Yeah, um, he's not a nice guy. No, for sure. Uh, you know, we, I mentioned Nadine there. I want to talk about her more in a minute, but just before we, we get to that, um, New Vegas. Yeah. I think, I don't know what, what I didn't love about it. It wasn't really just all the sex and drugs and nudity. I'm, you know. More sex and drugs and nudity, great. But this is, you know, Randall Flagg's version of the world, right? This is what he wants. He calls this freedom. And I was thinking, like, where the hell did all these people come from, first of all? But then I realized, okay, 99% of the population is dead. We know that. I guess if there's 350 million Americans, that's still 3.5 million people who survived. So you could fill Las Vegas with plenty of idiots to engage in this kind of behavior. Yep. But for me, it was just all sex and fighting and debauchery and a little gratuitous. So I kind of rejected it on that level a little bit. To me, I was like, is this just an excuse to get as many people as we can naked? Or is there some point to this? I can see both Uh, sides, you know? Well, I think, I think maybe it is both. I think it's, uh, you know, the depiction of you get a bunch of people together that are like-minded and just want to, they are hedonistic. They just want to experience uh, life without limits, mm-hmm. right? And what what does life without limits mean? It it means sex and drugs and rock and roll and apparently apparently empty pool gladiator fights. Uh, and this is what the you know depravity wants when they all 
collectively get together. Yeah. So I, I kind of, uh, you know, how do you depict that on screen? <laughs> you have uh, people having sex in the elevator. You have, uh, you know, people bashing each other's heads in. We didn't actually see any of the combat in the in the pool. We just saw the aftermath, right? You know, dump trucks full of bodies. I think we saw some punching, but and then, and we we almost saw someone take a chainsaw to what looked like an already dead body. So we didn't, yeah, we didn't see too much. I mean, you got to draw the line somewhere, right? Of course, you have all kinds of nudity and drugs and stuff, but uh, you don't want to have anybody. It's like the gore is just, you know, you got to draw the line. <laughs> no mutilations, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, I, it's, it was certainly uh, a spectacle to behold. Let's put it that way for me. But I, I kind of was turned off by it a little bit right up front. But you know what? I can, I can live with it. As I said, I did love all the scenes with Flag up in his penthouse because uh, just the idea of him up there sort of watching down upon all of this, you know, having made it all happen was kind of entertaining. And then, and then when he was interacting with others, it was, it was all really great. And when he was by himself, he was floating. He would just he float. Was just, he just absorbing all of the evil around him and it was, uh, you know, giving him power. What's with the milk? He drinks milk. Any idea? Uh, no. I mean, it just makes him more of an asshole. <laughs> Anybody who drinks milk. just a glass of milk is clearly well, an asshole. The fact that we drink milk is weird. <laughs> like as an adult. Okay. First of all, drinking milk, this is, and I, I enjoy a nice glass of milk. I like my, my milk. Uh, having, you know, drinking the milk, drinking milk as an adult is strange, but we drink the milk of another goddamn animal. Sure. I or know. more. Like there's other animals that we also milk, like goats. Yes, there <laughs> is. There are. Specifically. And coconuts. Uh, well, coconuts, you know, there's <laughs> no, know. coconuts don't have any nipples, so <laughs> it's not as weird. <laughs> I think it's that, just odd. I think now they call it coconut water, not coconut milk, don't they? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why they call it um, uh, canola oil instead of rapeseed oil. The original name is a little less appetizing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also why they call it, um, uh, what do you, uh, damn it. <sighs> anyway, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on. There was another one that uh, was just odd. Anyway, uh, so I think it's just to make him odd. Yeah, I right? can see that. As in, you know, you're in Vegas. Uh, you're in a penthouse. Uh, all around you is debauchery and evil and sex and drugs and gladiator fights. And what do you drink? Milk. Nice cold, crisp glass of milk. It's just, it's just odd. Like it, I've been, uh, and you know, speaking of which I've been in Vegas, I went to Vegas once and I was there for a weekend. I did not have a drink, not a single drink the entire weekend. It just never occurred to You're me. You're an unusual character though. The person you were there with, did they have a drink? No, oh. neither of us drank. That's weird. I don't know why. It's weird. I, it just didn't occur to us. Okay. Well, not you're... at dinner, not at, not in the, the casinos, nothing. Huh. Well, and it wasn't until afterwards. I'm like, shit, I didn't drink at all. I think I would have had a beer. <laughs> I really missed out. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to Vegas once in my life too. And, uh, I'll tell you, I did a little bit of drinking. Did you now? Okay, yeah. Good. Um, I saw a fight. Oh, like cool. In the street. <laughs> Two guys fighting. <laughs> well, I've seen that before too. Not in Vegas. I mean, going to see, you have to specify because a lot of people go to Vegas and see a fight. Sure. I, I saw Penn and Teller. That was amazing. Yeah. See, that would have been good. Oh, I met them. You get to meet them after the show. It's so. See, they're accessible. Yes. 
They're, God, it's fucking dangerous. I hope they don't get murdered. I'd really be upset if that happened. Oh, oh that was off the air. We didn't. We were talking about uh, John Lennon's killer oh. earlier. <laughs> All right, that's right. <laughs> so nobody gets the reference. So I have to. Call it back. <laughs> Referring back to something that never happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's 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 get back to the stand here. The other thing I wanted to say about episode five that kind of took me out of it a bit was how much time they spent with the whole dinner party, Larry searching Harold's house stuff. To me, I felt like that went on forever. We could have wrapped that whole thing up in so much less screen time because, I mean... The dinner party felt a little bit more relevant than me, uh, to me than the house searching because the dinner party is where Harold goes super weird and he tells that story about he tricks Franny into remembering something she didn't experience, right? Right. And that just makes him a super weirdo, which we kind of already knew, but it amps it up more. But Larry searching his house, you know, he goes in, he doesn't find anything, he messes up a chessboard, and then he escapes. I'm like, what? What was the point? Like. Was any information delivered to our characters through the house search or to us as the audience? I don't think so. No, but it was tense, right? Ah, come on. Was, was anyone ever sure, like, were you ever unsure that he was going to escape, you know, before Harold got home? I wasn't. So. Yeah. I don't know. He's, he's a main character. He's going to obviously escape. Right. And it's it's weird because it just sets up later for Franny to go into the house, into the basement and find, you know, the bomb supplies and the video cameras and stuff like that, or the, the video feeds from the cameras in her house. And like, that's important information because it makes Harold even more weird. And I guess all that Larry came away with was the fact that the basement door was locked and that was it. I just feel like it, it was an extended scene that could have been compressed a lot and again this this episode felt long to me so if they cut out i don't know five ten minutes of this stuff and did it somehow more efficiently maybe that would have helped a bit but yeah we had to have something happen in boulder right couldn't all just be you know yammering on and then above vegas well we we do have to have something happen in boulder um but i think we did with nadine and and sort of what she's doing right i think her and maybe her relationship with Harold or maybe partnership is a better word. Um, or maybe it's not actually, but I think they're one of the most interesting sort of storylines on this show right now, the two of them, um, the way they interact, the way to me, it's sometimes unclear who of the two of them really is the more evil one. Right. Because Nadine is, is, is working for Randall Flagg. You'd think she'd be pretty evil, but when you look at it, like what has she really done? Yeah. She shot, uh, what's his name? Teddy. But most of the time she's just seducing people into doing her bidding, right? Like Harold's the one who's making the bomb. Harold's the one, Harold is the one who is, uh, going around acting all weird and creepy and spying on people and stuff. Um, so I'm like, it's an interesting dynamic, you know, that she's kind of making him do this stuff, which arguably makes her more evil. I don't know. But I, at well, the I'd, very least, I think it's super interesting. Some people are evil all by themselves and some people need other people to be truly evil. I guess. Right? Yeah. So there's, there's that dynamic too, right? Like on their own, they're just kind of, uh, shitty people, but you know, put them together and, uh, they're, they can 
egg each other on into being truly evil. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it it's It made a, me think, uh, you know, when uh, she broke into uh, Nadine, not Nadine, um, Franny? Yeah, Franny. Broke into the uh, into the basement and she saw the bomb making supplies and she saw like this jar of ball bearings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made me think, oh shit, I got some ball bearings in the basement. Does, <laughs> could somebody construe that as bomb making materials? Let me just say this outright. I bought them as uh, you know ballast for the uh, the mini trebuchet that we you and I made in two thousand five. Uh, you remember we filled the the bucket full of stones and stuff when we wanted yep. to have more weight. Yeah, I started buying ball bearings. I have like fucking thirty pounds of ball bearings. That once I get that trebuchet up and running again, I got enough ball bearings to 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 really get some tennis balls flying. Yes, you do. So just saying, that's why I have ball bearings. Uh, but, uh, he had ball bearings for a different reason. And there was other stuff like explosives and shit. I don't have any of that. No, 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 no. He had packs of nails, all kinds of things like just. I got nails too. Well, yeah. They're in the garage. Okay, good. As long as they're in the garage. (laughs) I should put them all in a box, uh, and label the box bomb making supplies. Don't do that. And and (laughs) wait for my family to find it after I'm dead. Uh, nails and ball bearings what the fuck's going on here home building supplies home repair (laughs) supplies let me ask you a question jason sure so there is the scene where nadine comes to talk to larry and she wants to have sex with them yep uh but he kind of says no thanks i don't think you're in your right mind this this wouldn't be right and she says something to him she says it's the only way he'll let me go. So she's referring to flag. So it, it sounds like there is a way for her to remove herself from the grip that flag has on her, but I didn't quite understand what, what she was getting at there. Flag wants her to be and remain a virgin. She's a virgin. Okay. She wants flag flag wants her to be a virgin when she, uh, when she's talking to, uh, uh, what's his eyebrows? Larry. Uh, Larry. She says, uh, we can, you know, I, ha- I'm a virgin too, but there's, there's, there's lots of stuff we can do, uh, other than that. But that doesn't make sense because she was, she was using, she tried to use sex to get Harold on her side. Harold was a little premature, shall we say. And so she, it, they didn't go through with it, but he was still on her side. I don't think that was, she was trying to use sex. She was trying to have some kind of sexual relations. I think that she was still going to be a virgin after that encounter. She's trying to become not a virgin and there, therefore Flag will let her go because. Is it that Flag lets her go or that she escapes from him? Like, can she, can he no longer hold power over her if, if she is no longer a virgin? Uh, who knows? Yeah. Okay. I think the power of virginity is <laughs> quite strong <laughs> uh, and also quite fake, right? Uh. It's, it's not a real power. It's, it's just, uh, anyway, flag wants her to be a virgin. If she's not a virgin, uh, flag might not want her anymore. It's, it's okay. a chance for her to get away from him. I feel dumb because I never even thought of that. Like that didn't even occur to me that, that she had never had sex before. And that was her way of escaping. I just, I just thought she was using it to manipulate these men. And for some reason, there was some connection there to having sex with Larry and her, her or Flag's hold over her. But right. what, what you're saying makes sense. Um, but I do think that she was ready to do it with Harold, which 
which I thought was to get him on her side, but it seems like it might have done that, but also disconnected her from Flag. So it seems a little bit confusing to me. Uh, yeah, I, my memory of all of that is uh, a bit confusing. I, I think she said something along the lines of there's other stuff we can do. Uh, mm. You know, we just can't do that one thing. And then okay. she was moving towards that, but then he uh, um, climaxed. <laughs> All by himself. Let's let's say that, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they didn't have to put it to the test, right? But okay. then she also says to him, "You gave me to, uh, you gave me to Harold, mm-hmm. right?" When she was talking to Flag in her dream. Oh yeah, uh, maybe she can get permission to, uh, you know, to give it up <laughs> without giving it up or something like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe if Flag says do this, uh, that's okay. But if she has sex with somebody without Flag's permission. Maybe that is enough to uh, turn him off of her. And you so. know what? She clearly, to me anyway, seems to have like a sexual relationship with Flag, even if they're not in the same place at the same time. Like in the dreams, she seems to be pretty hot and bothered with, uh, yeah. you know, in those situations. I'm pretty sure they've never actually met in person. Yeah, probably not. I don't think they have. Uh, but because but, he he also said you're getting something along the lines of we don't need that thing anymore or you don't need that thing anymore the the whatever Ouija board thing yep to, in order to communicate with them so um, I'm pretty sure that they never actually met in person right 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 I feel like in that scene with Larry too after she after he turns her down um, you know she she becomes a little uh, sad isn't the right word but she 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 backs off and. I'll be honest with you. I felt like her, her voice lowered a little bit as if it was a little bit more flag speaking through her. Although she was saying things like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave now kind of thing. But right. maybe it was just Amber Heard doing sad voice, but, uh, it, it, there was a different timbre to it in my opinion. Um, but then she leaves, right. And we find out, I think we found out she took the batteries out of Larry's walkie, right. And she cut something on his motorcycle so he can't follow her. Now, let me ask you this. Were these actions to prevent him from stopping the bomb plan that she has with Harold? Or was it to prevent him from following her and going to the vigil and potentially being hurt or killed? These are two very different things in my mind, and I'm not clear what she was doing. Trying to trying to save him or trying to prevent him from uh, screwing up their plan. I think maybe you're thinking too much about this. I don't think I don't understand the motivation either, but I have a doubt that there is a motivation other than plot convenience later on. Oh, it's got to be something, right? I I don't think anything on this show is is accidental, and you can say that about any show, right? Because you know writers and directors they do things on purpose. I, I think there's a point here and I'm, I'm just not sure if it was to keep him away or to keep him from screwing things up for them. Well, I think it's from screwing things up, but she didn't, how did she know that he was planning to screw things up? If, if that's the motivation, like keep him away from the bomb. This was before he went to Harold's house. Yeah, that's true. Right? Yep. So how the hell did she, and she didn't know that he was going to Harold's house uh, unless she overheard the uh, the radio that said, okay, go now to Harold's house and break in and see what you can find. Cause there was a lot of information in that discussion. Yeah. Uh, 
So unless she overheard that, but I don't think that happened. She just happened to go there, right, in order to try and seduce him. And then when she was leaving, she did a couple of things that, uh, you know, became relevant later on for some reason. And I don't understand the reason like you. Well, I, I think maybe, I think maybe she was trying to prevent him. Like her thought was maybe he's going to follow me and I'm about to go and meet Harold and we're going to set this thing off. Why would he follow her? Why would she think that? Why? I, because I mean, they just had this intense exchange, right? Where he rejects her and maybe he feels bad. Maybe he wants to go follow her and try to make things right. You know, not by sleeping with her, but continuing the conversation. Well, you don't say you need to go, you should go home and then follow them. Yeah. Right? It, that doesn't make any sense. If he's going to be a good guy, he's just going to let her go. If he's going to be an asshole, he would just sleep with her. I guess so. So maybe she was trying to prevent him from leaving and going to this vigil and getting blown up. Like she she has some, uh, she, she has a desire not to see him die. They did travel together. They're sort of the parents of this kid together, right? So maybe she still has some of her good left in her, right? Maybe. And, you know, the kid does speak for the first time. I don't think it's in this episode, but uh, he does say something that is even, that's a little redeeming. Well, isn't it in this, it might be in this, you know, maybe it isn't in this scene, but he, he whispers, yeah, he whispers to Larry, Nadine and mummy Nadine are two different people is what yeah. he says. So maybe she has a good side as well. Absolutely. I think that has to be the case. And that's what I was picking up on a couple of episodes ago when I was talking about her being this school teacher who seems like she just wants to do good by the kids and stuff like that. Yet she has this dark side that is being controlled or maybe injected by flag, which is why I find her one of the most interesting characters. But let's talk about Joe, yeah, unless you have anything else about Nadine. Well, just that we saw that with uh, the guy that was crucified, that uh, Flag has the ability to override somebody's personality. Right. So maybe he's doing that to her as well, but it's not, um, it's not absolute. Yeah. No, yeah, you're right. It's not absolute. And, and we know that Flag can't see everything and maybe he can't control everything. So he doesn't have absolute control over the people he, you know, he has gotten into a little bit. Jesus, do I ever know that feeling? Not having control over everything that I want to have control over. Sure. You just wish you could make everything work out the way you want it to, eh? Just, just do what I want. Just do what I, everybody, just do what I want you to do. Yep. Everything will be fine. Life would like, be we'll so all much. get along. Right. Everything will get done. Everything will, everybody will be happy. I just need to impose my will on everybody I know and see <laughs> and think about. Everyone will be happy. That's the. That's right. Most important part. Uh, actually, I'll be happy and that's good enough for me. There you go. See, okay. I, maybe I should go be on Randall Flagg's team. I'm evil to the core. Uh, you're, you're halfway there already. Joe. Joe. I, so Joe is the kid, of course, that Nadine and Larry showed up with. He hasn't said a word until he whispers this to, to Larry. I think Joe is maybe one of the most important characters in this story. Because as we know, Mother Abigail goes missing. She uh, wanders out into the forest and communicates with, tries to communicate with God and communicates with Flag, I think. Yep. And then Joe is the character who finds her. After the whole rest of the town has been out searching for her, Joe is the one who finds her. And he finds her somehow because 
He's sitting there with a bunch of other kids watching a movie and we hear a voiceover um, of Mother Abigail saying the same line that she used earlier on in the episode. Um, and it, the line is, you can't send me anywhere that God can't find me. Right. And as we hear this, we, the camera's moving up on the back of Joe's head and he turns around to look at it just as, you know, that God can't find me. And then he goes and finds her. I think Joe might be our God character. I think Joe might be God. Well, I don't think he's God. I think he, uh, he can hear God. Can hear no, God. Maybe he's like, you think found- I-, I was calling mother a, like the representation of God on earth, but maybe it's actually Joe. Well, maybe it's both, right? Well, maybe both. Right. And this is what we're talking about. The bookends of life. You know, you start off life, not being able to walk and completely incontinent. Uh, and if you're lucky, you end your life that way too. But only uh, so, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, in this case, hearing the voice of God in order to uh, accomplish things, maybe you got to be super old like Mother A and or super young like Joe. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, it's the youngest, I think, and the oldest character on the show. Um, but uh, But I think the show was very deliberate in what they did in that in making such a big point out of everybody searching for her of mother a saying that, you know, you can't send me anywhere that God can't find me repeating the line as the camera pushed in onto Joe. And then basically next scene, Joe finding her, you know, it feels almost too obvious to me and I have no idea where, where this is going, but I think Joe is going to be, end up being a really important character as this plays out over the next few episodes. Right. Um, and See, I think that's cool. It is cool. And that's what make God, makes God, God, instead of a dragon, is that God has unlimited true sight. He sees everything everywhere, instead of just in a limited sphere like a goddamn dragon. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, you know, be mindful, boys and girls. He has unlimited true sight, and he can do whatever he wants at range. He's like Normally Santa. We, like, well, even more than Santa, really, because, <laughs> you know, you think of something, you can have any kind of power you want, like being able to dig, you mm-hmm. know, God can do that at range. He can do that without having to touch anything. He can dig a hole with, uh, you know, at 50 feet away without ever going near it. Boy, Whereas be you a- and I have to walk our walk over there like a chump and dig a fucking hole. God gonna, doesn't need to do that. He just digs a hole wherever he wants. I was going to say, that would be a handy power to have, you know, I need a yeah. hole dug in my backyard. I could be doing it right now. <laughs> Yes, you could. Be handy. Uh, all right. Well, um, let's talk about the explosion at the end. So Harold and uh, Nadine go through with their plan to blow up Mother Abigail's house at her vigil because they haven't quite found her at that moment yet, although it all happens at the same time. They they get word from, from Krychek, I think, <laughs> that they've found Mother A., and by Krychek, I mean the guy who played him on X-Files, who, what was his name again? Uh, Nicholas Lee. Nicholas Lee, right, the guy right, right, yeah, right. from X-Files. He's on the show. They get word from him that they've found Mother Abigail just as the bomb explodes. And poor Nick is standing right beside it. So he's killed instantly. So it's in the piano. It's in the right? piano. Yep. Which Nadine uh, has uh, a love-hate relationship with because right. she was in foster homes and she thought that... Uh, 
you know, I went to this foster home and there was a piano there and I thought this one's going to be different, but people are people. Mm -hmm. And so she uh, plants a bomb in the piano uh, and it goes off. And I thought the shot of the whole explosion thing was fucking phenomenal. Like it was just so well done. I agree. I thought you were going to complain about the amount of fire though, for a bomb that was mostly nails and ball bearings. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, (laughs) you're becoming more accepting in your old age. (laughs) Well, you know, there's... There's explosions and then there's explosions, right? Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, the explosions that cause, cinematic explosions are all fire and no blast wave. Right. right? Whereas explosions in real, real life, like dynamite, the whole point of dynamite is a goddamn blast wave, right? It's not to start fires. They use dynamite to put out fires. Right. <laughs> right. That's how they put out those friggin' oil rig fires back in the early nineties. Right. Blow they them used, up. they blew them up. Okay. You just, you you have a big explosion. You deprive the whole thing of, of oxygen. The fire goes out, right? Mm, so you sense. use dynamite to put out fire. You don't use dynamite to start a fire. Anyway, but cinematic explosions are all fire because they don't want to have a blast wave. They mm. just want to have a flash, right? Yep. Something cinematic where nobody gets hurt. So yeah, sure. It was a big bomb, but there was a lot of, like it's black powder too, I assume. Like it wasn't C4 or anything like that. I assume he was using either gunpowder or black powder. That's going to produce a flame. Okay. Right. They might've used uh, kerosene. I mean, you know, you put a, uh, how they make those explosions in the cinema is you fill uh, milk jugs with gasoline. Right. And then they all explode and there's big lots of fire and stuff and it all looks fantastic and nobody gets hurt and you're like, print it. And then everybody goes to the bank because they made a lot of money. (laughs) I like how you went from explosion to filling your bank account immediately. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I thought it was a pretty big explosion, but I think you were going to talk about the, uh, sort of cinematography around it, how it goes into slow motion and people are flipping through the air and stuff. It looked yeah, pretty I, incredible, actually. It did. I thought it was well done. It looked great. It, it looked great and scary and, um, you know, kind of horrific at the same time. Uh, partly though, because Stu and Franny are standing right there. Now they're not immediately beside the explosion, but they're close enough that they're knocked down. And are we supposed to believe that there's some trauma to the unborn baby here? Because just as it explodes, she grabs the belly, which maybe just be a, a reflex reaction, right? But then they're knocked down to the ground and we cut to black basically. Well, it definitely drew attention to it, and I think we're supposed to at least believe that the uh, the baby is in peril. Yeah, I right? think so. Like it, it's just, it's to it's the unknown. It's like oh my god, the baby, right? Whereas you know Nick was standing right next to the piano, and was like oh my god, Nick, uh, he's not going to survive that experience. I uh, personally no. believe. No, there's not much left of him. I'm afraid. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think. <sighs> It's hard to say with Stephen King. I don't remember the story, but I wouldn't put him past. I wouldn't put it past him to kill the baby, uh, the unborn baby. But then again, it's TV, so it's hard. It's hard to say exactly what's going on. I don't remember the actual story. So Stephen King might have killed the baby in the certain circumstance, in the same circumstances. But the TV show might just want you to believe the baby's in peril and the baby will be fine. Okay. It's just it's it's the oh my god, adding tension to the already big explosion. Yeah. Well, it worked. It worked. I think I was I was upset for everything that was going on. 
uh, including the baby in peril. Right. That's where the episode ends. Really the only other thing, I mean, not the only other thing, but the, the other thing that happens, I think, towards the end there is that Tom at uh, Dana's, he figures out Dana's message because earlier on she passes him a note that says run. He can't read that, but he comes up with a way to find out what it says. Um, so he buries himself in the back of a truck full of dead bodies that is then driven out of New Vegas. So as far as we know, he's in there still. I don't think we've seen him escape yet, but I think Tom is going to be the one of the three spies who makes his way back to Boulder somehow and is able to report on what's going on. I agree. Right? Because Judge, I forget her name, Judge whatever they call her, the third spy, the old lady, she was holed up in a motel on the outskirts, killed off screen. Like, barely even completed, barely even started her mission uh, as a spy before she was killed. Well, maybe she had, uh, you know, different parameters. Maybe her her goal was to, you know, we have two spies in finding information. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should be the spy that uh, looks uh, from beyond. See who's coming and going sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah. She, he's, she's killed by uh, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. I really like that actor. Yep. He's, he's, he's awesome. I mean, he's the guy who had the balls to give Randall Flagg the finger <laughs> and then walk out. <laughs> yeah. And then he's torn apart in an elevator. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um. But I thought it was a little unceremonious to kill that third spy just off screen outside the city. But I get it. It's, I mean. It happens. It happens. It, it ha it, you know, killing people off screen is cheap. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. even when the Coen brothers do it, pisses me off. Sure. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Well, I thought episode five was a little weaker, but still good. And I thought episode six was another really good one. So I'm still fully on board with this show. Really, really enjoying it. And, uh, we've got seven, eight, and then nine coming up and, and that's it. I think nine is, yeah, nine is subtitled with Coda. So I think it, the story may sort of kind of wrap up in episode eight and then nine is a bit of a denouement, if you will. Yeah. We didn't talk about the trash can man. Trash can the man. flash. The flash. Oh, right. Yes. The guy who plays the flash. Yeah. I didn't recognize him. <laughs> yeah. He was, uh, he's basically totally fucking insane and a pyromaniac, uh -huh. but, uh, based on his, uh, the webbing he has, uh, he has demolition skills, right? He's, uh, he, he's the, he's the right guy for whatever they've got planned, but he's completely insane and, uh, beautifully played. Ezra Miller, that's his name. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm looking forward to this character more. Okay. As time goes on. I, he was entertaining, like just out there, man. Totally out there. <laughs> it must be so much fun to play this kind of character, right? Where you just oh, yeah. right off the deep end. No matter what happens, you're just screaming and yelling. And uh, it just it, he looked like he was having a lot of fun and he was doing a good job. I'm... And I'm, I'm all on board with this character. I can't wait to find out what's going on. For sure. For sure. And that reminds me of one other thing I did want to mention too. Owen Teague, the guy who plays Harold. Yeah. I swear to God, in half his scenes, it feels like he is actually auditioning for the role of the Joker because he's, he's a little unhinged too. He's very expressive in his face and he's got this big wide ass smile with lots of teeth, you know, that he, he can deliver. And I'm like, you put the makeup on that dude. He's the Joker. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a really good job of playing 
uh, you know, somebody who is definitely not all there. Right. Who, who is on un- angry and frustrated and, uh, you know, just unhinged, sick of, sick of everybody's shit. Like the fact that he told a story, uh, at the dinner party, like you were saying that, uh, you know, remembering a story, uh, that where he wasn't there at all and then calling them on it. It's just yeah. like, what a shit thing to do. Like the whole thing is just, just a, just a jerk move. Yeah. Well, he's unhinged. Just to make people look, uh, look bad. And, and you never know what he's going to do. This is part of the reason why, you know, I'm really on board with this character too, because every minute I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to renege on these plans, right? They have this plan to blow this up. He's not going to go through with it, you know? Um, but then he does. And then there are other moments where, uh, you know, he's talking to Nadine and, you know, he tells her like she has to hold it together. And I'm like, but isn't she the evil one? She's being <laughs> controlled by the devil, basically. And he's telling her to hold it together, you know, with their evil plans. So it's I think he's fantastic. You know, he's yeah. he's such a troubled guy that you, you just never know what he's going to do or where he's going to do it. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a good job playing this character. I'm enjoying it. Very much so. Well, all right. Anything else before we call it a night? Nope, that's it. Cool. Still a good show, I think. I mean, still a really good show. Loving it. Uh, I hope, I wish more people out there were were digging it or, or you know, I, I feel bad the folks that uh, are rating it poorly aren't, aren't able to uh, get something out of it, but I'm really loving it. So we are going to continue our coverage of The Stand next week with 7-8. Um, maybe 9-2, we'll see. I think we have still two more weeks, don't we? Before Walking Dead. So we could do that in over two weeks. Uh, but we'll, we'll see at least seven, eight next time. And that will sounds like wrap up most of the story. So hopefully more Greg Kinnear. We need more Greg Kinnear, Jason. Well, don't we all in everyday life? I agree. All right. Well, that'll be in a couple of, or in a week from now. Um, but we'd love to hear more of your feedback or comments on, on what we talk about here or the stand, of course. Uh, and I can, I'll include them in the show if I can. So if you want to get in touch, by all means, please do visit talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top and you can, uh, record an audio message for us. Those are fantastic. You can also just record it in, you know, the voice memo app on your phone. If you have one of those smartphones these days and, uh, send that to us. You can email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Facebook, facebook.com slash the talking dead. Those are all great ways to get in touch. And uh, I hope you do, because I want to hear from people about what they think of the stand, good or bad, you know, like, um, like Paul off the earlier in the episode did, tried to explain why people weren't digging it. I love to hear more theories about that as well. So send those notes in if you can. All right, that is going to do it, everyone. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.